Kemi Falcha. Welcome to Crown Behaw Podcast for June 1st, 2023. Hello once again. My name's Terrence O'Donnell. I'm back for another episode of Backpage News from Around the World and an op-ed about something that may be important to you or not, depending on what matters to you. This once-a-week podcast now being hosted on RSS.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and many, many others. I try to offer you backpage stories from news feeds and writers from around the world that you may not have heard of yet. These stories are usually about climate change, racism, politics, human interest pieces not found on the front pages that might make you think for a moment, or at least I hope so. A little about me. I'm of Irish descent and a self-professed Sean Kay, a Gaelic storyteller. And I want this podcast to feel like we are sitting under the Gaelic crown behaw, which translates as the tree of life which is typically the village oak tree. Sitting under this imaginary tree together, I will pass on some headlines to back page stories and my commentary to go along with them on why these stories are relevant. Every once in a while, I might even find something amusing to bring you about a smile. I want to use this podcast as a friendly space to promote my activism to address the wrongs of the world. At least the ones that are often missed since the front page news tends to overshadow them. I just hope I can do so without offending anyone. This podcast is free to anyone who cares to listen because I have no desire to charge any money while I bring attention to the little things going on in the world during the week. I think monetizing this show takes away from the idea of what the show's all about, informing people about the larger things going on in the world. I do offer the option of donations and subscriptions to my written online stories and articles. More about that during the break. Speaking of which... I'll be taking a break once I deliver the headlines to you. So during that break, I do promote my own website and my stories and articles published at medium.com. Short, about a one, two minute clip, but nothing too fancy. So if you're ready to go, let's see what I got for you this week. This week, I kind of mixed everything up uh, in a good way. I've got the usual mixture of racist stories. Um, I've got one here on modern day slavery. Um, I've got a lot of climate change articles, as usual, Um, some interesting crime stories, if you will, Um, politics, the usual stuff. But I I tried to group them all together this time for you this week. And the big thing about this also, uh, I want to also make uh, an announcement. I'm going to be changing the date of this podcast. Now, I've been typically publishing this on Thursdays. But due to conflicting schedules and everything else going on this month and down the road, I'm going to move it back a day. So from now on, I'm going to put it on Wednesdays. So next week, this story will be out on Wednesdays and from there going on forward. So anyway, let's get to the first story I got for you. G20 countries are fueling modern day slavery, report says. And this came out of CBC.news. And there's report the world's 20th richest countries account for over 50 million people in forced labor and living in modern day slavery around the world. So think about that. The 20 richest countries in the world and account for over half of the 50 million people in forced labor. Six members of the G20 have the largest number of people in modern day slavery to include forced labor and forced marriages. India with 11 million, China with 5.8 million, Russia with 1.9 million, Indonesia 1.8 million, Turkey with 1.3 million, and the U.S. with 1.1 million. I want to emphasize the U.S. is in the top six here. Modern day slavery is on the increase worldwide and permeates every aspect of our society, according to the director of Walk Free Founding and founding director. She's to the director of Walk Free. The founding director is Grace Forrest. She's from Australia. There doesn't seem to be much political will to combat this, and it's only going to get worse. So if you see something, say something, to quote a popular phrase. And that deals with slavery. I mean, if you if you see somebody working on your front lawn, they're looking distressed, uh, and they kind of might be kind of shady looking as far as looking around, afraid of things, they may be in, in be in forced forced labor here, uh, and, I, and I don't care if it's here in the United States. Could be anywhere in the world. 
Um, there was, you know, there was an article last week I told you about with those Filipino women overseas in Switzerland. So it's it's around the world. Now let's move on to the next story here. Across Europe, the far right is rising, and then it all seems normal, and that's all the more terrifying. This is by Owen Jones. And it says Austria, Austria, France, Germany, Sweden, and now Spain. The firewall between mainstream and the far right is crumbling. This is in The Guardian. And it's like an opinion piece out of TheGuardian.com. So this article talks about how right-wing nationalists are becoming more the norm for European politics after Trump nearly destroyed the Americans. The fear is that Europe will be sent back to the bad old days when Hitler's Germany struck out in revenge for the abuses of the Versailles Treaty. Now, that was Hitler's story at the time. Meanwhile, nationalism is reaching a near feverish pitch and could boil over if certain political factions decide to aggressively deter climate migrants. And basically, that's what this is all coming down to. The, 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 the thousands and thousands of climate migrants that are pushing out of the, the, the African continent and in the Balkans and other areas going into going to places like England, France, Spain, Germany, and all these other countries that have a better economy. It's causing a lot of problems. These right-wing groups are now starting to get involved with politics and getting themselves elected to their local parliaments and becoming a larger say in the local governments there. So it's going to be interesting the next few years. So now I'm going to get into climate change. This is where I put all my climate change articles here. The first one I got for you was Jordan's Bedouins take on the struggles of climate change. Jordan, the second most water-scarce country in the world, is adapting to the consequences of an ever-changing climate. This came out of Al Jazeera. It's a human interest story from Jordan, how a Bedouin family and a town are adapting to a global warming by leaving the nomadic life behind and going to work in tourism to stay alive. Now, the big thing is, if you look at the broader story here, the broader story is that global warming and climate change are affecting that latitude between the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn all over the world. And because of that, all these countries that lie within those latitudes are seeing a major change in economics and people and everything else, and mostly right now, lack of water. So they're having to make ends meet any way they can. So the, you know, the, the typical postcard that you used to see of Bedouins camp, putting tents out in the desert and, and parking their camels outside, yeah, those days are going bye-bye simply because there's no water out there in the oasis anymore. They're having to find it in other places. So that's, that's, uh, that's becoming a big thing. So, yeah, it's not just in the uh, not just in the Western countries. It's everywhere in those latitude bands. Why do more than 800 million people live in hunger? 10% of the world's population do not have enough food. The highest number in more than a decade. Another article out of Al Jazeera. Part of this is the war in Ukraine. But a large part of this global warming caused the loss of fertile land to grow enough food for over 8, million, 8 billion people around the world. Bottom line, there's too many people and the planet's losing too much land and things are getting hotter. This will only continue to get worse. And again, I've expanded on this and now we're talking about 800 million people who are living in hunger around the world right now. A lot of it's due to global warming, climate change. Next article, what's climate colonialism? colonialism. Typhoon Mowers, Mowers Carnage in Guam offers an insight by Christopher Teague. And this was in, Inside Climate News. It's an article about the recent typhoon that went through Guam. That was a few days ago. And the damage in dollars and how that ties into climate colonialism and how that ties into the hurricane that devastated, devastated Puerto Rico a few years ago. And they're still trying to recover from that. So the question is, we're talking about colonialism here. Guam and Puerto Rico are colonies of the United States. So nobody really thinks about that too much. But believe it or not, the United States has a couple of colonies. Much like England do, did, still does to some degree. And 
they're suffering right now. And the United States isn't really stepping up too well to try to take care of these people. And, and kind of wonder, is that on purpose? I mean, we, are we trying to get rid of these colonies or what? So here's another one. It's more environmental, I think, than it is uh, climate change, global warming. Bison meat is hot here in the United States. Ranchers are struggling to keep up. Can they scale up without sacrificing environmental benefits of buffalo? From Leela Narg and MotherJones.com. Talks about the sustainability of using bison as a meat source for meat-hungry North Americans. As domesticated cows are now becoming less popular because they emit too much methane, and that's all about the food they eat, Western ranchers are looking to bison as a less polluting natural alternative. But... Demand is now too high for the supply, and if they start treating the bison like cattle, the natural less polluting benefits disappear. So maybe people should consider a less alternative to meat. Hey, I'm all about that. You know, my house, uh, you know, we don't eat a lot of meat anymore. We hardly ever eat any beef, uh, and definitely I'm not going to start eating buffalo. Uh, I can imagine the price tag on that stuff. But the big thing about it is we don't need to eat as much meat as we're as we do our you know our systems will tolerate that very well matter of fact so i'm thinking that all those cattle ranches out west here in north america that are fighting for water and everything else and they're complaining because all the methane and graining and fertilizer and all the other things that are polluting the world well let's just stop it EU and farmers at odds over law to stop ecosystem collapse. This is from Tim Schoenberg, and this one came out of DW.com. To slow down climate change, the EU wants to reduce agricultural emissions and promote sustainable soil use. A new law would see the restoration of CO2-storing peatlands, but critics fear farmers will lose out. So farmers and EU lawmakers are at odds over land use as the EU wants to restore the natural peatlands to bring back their CO2 storing capacities. The new bill would restore 30% of drained peatlands used for farming, a figure set to rise by 70% by 2050. Now I think the EU farmers need to get used to the new world, much like the farmers and ranchers and ranchers the rest of the world. A new world being global warming and climate you know, climate change. And these farmers who scarfed up all this peatland to grow stuff, a lot of it has to do with just feeding cows. I think we could stop a lot of that stuff and the farmers wouldn't have so much to complain about. So I got an article here, a couple of them from, um, from one source. Her name is Liz Kuntz. And I picked up two of her more articles out of medium.com. First one is called Just, just Deserts. And it's about cattle ranches and how much they've been screwing up the environment for nearly 100 years in North America. Now, my answer to this author was to give the cattle back to the free ranges, let them compete for life like the bison do. Do away with the mega-sized cattle ranches. And if somebody really wants a steak, go hunt for it. Work for it like you would a deer or a bison. And I think, you know, that's, I, again, I, I go back to what I said before. Here in North America and maybe Western Europe and other places, we eat way too much meat. It's bad for us. It causes cancer if you eat too much of it, heart disease, and all number of things. So why are we doing this to ourselves, right? But the other part of it is the environment. By having, you know, by demanding all this meat, we're creating this industry of cattle ranching, which is in turn messing up the environment. So if we reduce our meat you know, our cows, beef, and, and other like-minded animals that we consume all the time, all of this would go away. So her next article is called Draining the Swamp. This talks about how damaging the descendants of the European colonists have been to the North American continent in their incessant quest for riches and power. And if you read any of my articles on Medium, you know that I'm talking about this too. This one is about how the cattle industry, the cattle industry, has destroyed a large part of the essential ecosystem in the continent and a likely direct cause of a lot of drought conditions in the western states now. And that does, 
you know, she's talking about the United States, but I this applies also to Canada. So if anybody's been reading any of the news out of CBC lately, and maybe some American news, but mostly out of the CBC, Nova Scotia's got a Nova Scotia, which is on the east coast, the Atlantic Maritimes, is having a huge problem with the wildfire. And the wildfire is so big, it's actually starting to move over into uh, over into top in New Brunswick in Canada. And that's a bad thing, all right? And the western provinces out in Canada, British Columbia, Alberta, have been dealing with wildfires now for quite a while. And it's tearing everything up out there. So Canada is going through what the United States has been going through. And that's a, you know, that's not a good thing. And a lot of it has to do with agriculture, logging, and all these other things that humans seem to think they need. And, well, guess we're paying for it now with all these fires. So here's another global warming article here. This one is from China. Shanghai records hottest day in May in 100 years. Temperatures hit 36.7 degrees centigrade in China's largest city as records fall across Southeast Asia and South Asia. Again, out of aljazeera.com. So here we go. Not even summer yet. Well, technically. The regions in the middle latitudes are breaking heat records set over 100 years ago. And it's only going to get worse as El Nino strengthens this summer. Strengthens this summer. And that's, that's the thing. Here, so April and May, Southeast Asia, and now we're talking Shanghai, China, are setting record high temperatures. And we're not even past the summer solstice yet in the middle of June. And we don't, and El Nino hasn't even hit yet. It's coming, but it hasn't hit yet. And they're already setting records. So what's the summer going to look like? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of afraid for them people. It's going to get really bad, I bet. Here's another one. This, we're coming back to the, to the American continents now. This one is in Brazil. Outrage as Brazil law threatening indigenous lands advances in Congress. Critics denounced lies, hatred, and racism as legislation moves to Senate after being overwhelmingly endorsed by Laura House. This came out of The Guardian. It's by Tom Phillips in the Rio de Janeiro. So the right-wingers in Brazil are at it again. They vote, they're voting to turn the Amazon rainforest into an agricultural paradise of their making for profit and money. Who cares about the indigenous peoples living in there or the jungle that's helping to keep global warming at bay? Follow the money straight into their pockets. And that's basically what it all amounts to. Bolsonaro's cronies are passing this stuff through their legislature down there, despite Lulu, the new president, saying, no, we can't be doing that. And he did all he could to save the indigenous tribes out there. But their, their congressional people are saying, nah, sorry, we don't care about them people. All we care about is making money. So bye-bye, Amazon jungle. You can, you can pretty much kiss the Amazon rainforest nearly goodbye. Uh, well, these people keep going the way they're going. And the climati climatologists have said it, is if, the, if, if the Amazon rainforest hits the point of no return and turns itself into a, a savanna, you know, by the end of this century, the, the climate in, in, around the world is, is, is going to be really, really bad. So we're going to skip back up to North America now. And this one's out of Hawaii. Native Hawaiians reclaim energy sovereignty by Ayurella Horn Mueller. Mueller. And this came out of Axios.com. Environmental story about islanders on Molokai who have managed to set up their own energy company with solar energy using rooftops for solar panels. If the contracts get approved by the state government, they could serve as about 20% of the island's inhabitants. With 60% of the people being of Native Hawaiian heritage, that's a big step towards independence for them, especially since so many of them live below the poverty line. So here's an example of what can be done in local communities if they really put their minds to it to try to save energy and save money in there and get away from all of these corporate energy companies. Now I read, you know, I'd read you guys a story last week about Michigan. Well, that's basically the same thing, and it coming out of Hawaii. You know, they get a lot more sun in Hawaii than the folks in Michigan. But there's communities now that are getting on board with this stuff. I think it's a good thing. I mean, it'd be nice if they could do it all over, the, all over North America. So uh, those are my climate change articles for the week. Now we're going to move into some kind of 
global warfare, climate change. You know, I stand corrected. It, this does have to do with climate change. Um, Iran and Taliban exchange heavy gunfire and conflict over water rights on the Afghan border. This is from PBS.org with, by John Gambro. As I mentioned in a, other broadcasts, it's not just the U.S. that's fighting each other for water. So here we have an article about water shortages on the Iran-Afghanistan border. And they are shooting at each other over water rights now. This is just the tip of the spear. It's going to be a lot more of this violence as the water dries up even more in the next few years. So what they're talking about here is on the western border and eastern border of, of Iran and Afghanistan, they got a river running through there. And they had set up a tree like decades ago. But now they're arguing over it and they're actually shooting each other. And it killed three soldiers, I guess, um, wounded some others. And I'm telling you, this is just a taste of what's come. There's going to be a lot more violence around the world fighting over water rights. So I'm sure this one, everybody's probably heard about this one because it's been all over the place since I picked it up. This insurance giant halts sale of new home policies in California due to wildfires. State Farm also cites inflation of construction costs in statement, which comes out after increasing wildfires in the state. And I got I picked mine up out of the Guardian, but a lot of other news organizations also picked this up. My article is from Gloria Oladipo. So we, as we probably all know in the news, State Farm is one of the biggest insurers in North America, maybe in other countries, is decided not to insure any homeowners policies in California because of the wildfire danger. So if you have a policy, it, they're not they're not going to take it away from you. But anybody that buys a house right now in California or has one built, State Farm's not going to insure it for you. You got to find somebody else, which means all that the, everybody else is going to be jacking their prices up. How many other insurers are going to start doing the same thing? Now, for anybody who kind of knows, Florida's had this problem for years over the hurricanes and flooding. And you you basically, if you own a house in Florida, you got to buy your house insurance through the state when it's right through the roof. You know, I have children that live down there and grandkids, and I feel bad for them. But Florida's been dealing with this because of water. Um, now California's dealing with this because of fires. So now what's going to happen? Yeah, a lot more people are probably going to be leaving California. Now, here's the thing. Are the plain states going to start doing this because of all the tornadoes? So insurance companies right now are bailing on certain states. That's not a good precedent. So it makes you wonder, are you living in a good place? <laughs> Excuse me. West Virginia governor... West Virginia governor's coal empire sued by government over unpaid fines. Justice Department files lawsuit against companies linked to Republican Jim Justice seeking unpaid penalties of $7.6 million. Another article out of The Guardian. The same governor wants to run for Senate against Joe Manchin. So if you thought Joe Manchin, he was a Democrat, you think he's bad? Wait till this guy takes his place. This guy is, you know, great persona. And he's basically thumbing his nose in some ways with his co companies uh, telling the government, yeah, we don't care if you penalize us. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. And basically, there are fines over uh, pollution, pollution fines. So that's, you know, that's what the United States is coming to. Politicians don't care. They're making money. Nobody cares. And then here I have this all right, so now I'm coming to the last article I have on, on climate. Students and faculty faculty at Ohio State respond to a bill that would restrict college discussions of climate policies. You could say gravity isn't true, but if you step off the cliff, you're going to go down, says climate scientist Catherine Hayhoe about restrictions on teaching. This by Dan Garino in Inside Climate News. The state of Ohio wants to restrict discussion of climate change on college campuses because they think climate policies are a controversial belief or policy. They don't want to become embroiled in climate discussions in the classrooms because of so much controversy. Other red states are also enacting similar legislation over liberal politics. They're fighting against woke fiefdom, as they're calling it. If red states continue, they will lose a lot of students to better colleges, 
Florida's already experiencing that right now. So much for student tuition to help fund any colleges to try and keep their doors open, because that's basically what's going on. If all these students feel like that they're not going to be able to get the quality of education in the student, you know, in these colleges in these red states, they're going to bail. I mean, I know they're doing that in Florida. I don't know about Texas, but they may be, and there may be a mass exodus of college students. And then, how are these colleges going to keep their doors open? So this one here is going into what I call it's an article that I got here for for book banning, I guess, in some ways. It's all about the LGBTQ stuff, but it's more about book banning. So the article is entitled, Why Are Schools in Maine Keeping Genderqueer, the name of a book, on shelves, despite challenges, a case study and what makes a difference by Kelly Jensen and bookriot.com. So it's about a book entitled Genderqueer. And it was very popular up until recently when red states all across the country started pulling off the shelves. Well, we don't want to indoctrinate our kids. Oh, we're worried about pedophiles. So this, the, this article is about a case study on book banning. And it's, and it's, for me, it's a little bit close to home because I used to live up in Maine a lot of years. My family's from there. My ancestors are from there. I got family there. But it's how the state of Maine decided to buck mainstream U.S. trends for red states not that Maine is all that red, and leave this book and others like it on their shelves. They don't think they're all that harmful after state educators educators actually read the books. Some didn't like the books, but sided with the kids and the teachers to leave them alone. Now, why can't the other states do this? So now I'm going to segue over here into politics. Around the world politics, okay? Everybody thinks... You know, I'm based out of the United States. The only thing I'm ever going to talk about is the United States. And I say, now you get enough of that in your face, you know, stuff. I get a little bit of something for you later. But first, let's do overseas politics. First one I got for you is new anti-Israel axis pushes Netanyahu to break of war. And it's about the anti-Israeli axis in the Middle East that's been bolstered by months of chaotic rule from Benjamin Netanyahu's coalition by Mel Freckberg, and this is the, from the dailybeast.com. It's another story from the Middle East. Israel is very worried about a possible concerted attack against them from a coalition of groups around them, as they see that the Israelis seem to be weakening. Multiple low-level attacks recently are putting them on a massive defensive posture as they are afraid they are going to be overrun. All of this likely started over the recent bad treatment of Muslims and their holy sites, Notable all the attacks at the Al-Aqsa, Al-Aqsa Mosque episode here a few weeks ago. The problem is it's still going on. They're still they're shooting Palatines more and more here lately than I can remember since um, uh, Yasser Arafat was running around. But basically the article talks about several groups like Hamas and a few others are all actually starting to work together in a concerted effort against Israel. And Israel's have, having to put up quite a fight now. It's going to get real interesting to see how that works out. So now we're going to go kind of in the United States, but this is actually about China. U.S. charges two over China-backed plot against Falun Gong. Two, sex, two suspects were charged with crimes related to an operation to have the U.S. tax exempt status of the Falun Gong organization revoked. I got this out of Al Jazeera. Two Chinese-born men in league with the Chinese government were arrested for bribing a government official in the U.S. Another example of the PRC attempting to reach around the world to stop dissidents in other countries from criticizing the government in Beijing. The U.S. seems to be taking the lead on this with Canada close second. Well, we like to think so. Hope so. I know the U.K. has been stepping up, uh, Australia as well. So maybe there's some hope here. Uh, maybe stopping China uh, from attacking people, uh, you know, just because they're saying bad things about Beijing. Well, I say things about, I say, come after me. <laughs> you know, I say bad, bad things about Beijing all the time. Now, I'm going to get into this one. This one actually is a story out of England, uh, the UK. Guantanamo Bay detainee accuses UK agencies of complicity in his torture. Abd al-Rahim 
al-Nasri wants to bring case examining alleged role of MI5, MI6, and GCHQ in his mistreatment by the American CIA. Again, it's coming out of the Guardian.com world section. So if you don't if you don't think the United States government is truly evil behind closed doors, think again. This man has been in U.S. custody for 23 years, tortured in black sites around the world, and now waiting for trial where they want to execute him for epic set the bomb on the USS Callaway back when. There have been no formal charges brought yet, and the U.S. won't grant him POW status. See, the Americans are basically telling the world, this is what you would expect from us if you kill any of our people, and we are not at war with you. And if you don't like it, too bad. Go complain to the World Court at The Hague, which was done, and the U.S. gave them the middle finger. So basically, this guy is not the only one. We have a bunch of detainees, as they call them, down at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Marines are guarding them, and they have no status. They were picked up around the world. They were tortured in various places outside the United States, which George W. Bush got condemned harshly for it, and still no punishment for him. I mean, to me, that's a war crime. But, you know, the issue is these guys should have been POWs. I mean, any other country would have done that. These guys are POWs. But no, Americans say, nope, They're, they they committed crimes against our people. We're going to do whatever we want to them, and nobody else can tell us. You know, nobody can tell us what to do. And I, To me, I think that's human rights, human and civil rights violations out the yin-yang uh, on foreign nationals, and we shouldn't have, never should have got away with it. So now I'm going to go over to Ireland. And this is a, a good news story, actually. Seven men remanded in custody over attempted murder of DCI John Caldwell. So if anybody remembers a while back, DCI John Caldwell was in a parking lot at the end of his son's soccer game. And guys came up in a car and they shot him and intended to kill him. And, and they ran off. His son was a witness. Well, they caught seven men. And, you know, they probably claimed to be part of this new IRA group. Uh, but I'm, I'm thinking it's really good that they caught them, that the guard had got these, and now they're going to they're gonna go on trial for attempted murder. And I think that's really great. That will help alleviate a lot of tension over there, knowing that these guys are being rounded up and treated as criminals and not part of a terrorist group. Although they may get, they may get charged with terrorist activities. But either way, they're being charged with attempted murder, just basically being common thugs. Um, well, yeah, you know, they are, they are going to get charged to be terrorists. I'm sorry. That's, that's a good, you know, there's no reason for them to do that. But I'm just glad they got caught. So now I've got a somewhat amusing article for you here out of the United States, but it doesn't apply just to the United States. So Connecticut, state of Connecticut here in the United States, which is exonerated by Senate lawmakers. This came out of BBC.com World News. It appears that some lobbying pays off eventually, not just in Connecticut, but other New England states and countries have exonerated people from the past for being accused of witchcraft. Now, granted, all these people were lynched, killed, you name it, died. Um, but, it, you know, they were still on the books as witches, which was a crime 300 years ago. This is a, you know, it's a, it's a good thing that they got exonerated, but it doesn't fix the problem of Christian hysteria like the current national fear of LBGTQ plus people. So how is this any different than being accused of witchcraft in, in a Christian eye? Well, be honest with you, there's not a lot of difference. It's basically, we don't understand you. You are different than us. means that we have to do something about you and make you go away. So they said about people accused of witchcraft back then. Now they're saying the same thing about the LBGTQ people. So I'm, gonna, I'm bouncing across the world all over the place here, back and forth, the United States, Europe, you name it. I'm sorry. Uh, but I got another one here, again, from overseas. So this one's out of Ukraine. And generally, I don't pick stories out of Ukraine because they're almost always front page news. But this one is not so much. So this is titled, I was so scared, quote, the Ukrainian children taken to Russia for financial gain. Ukraine says 16,000 children have been deported from Russian-held territories during the war. 
many by friends and relatives seeking to make money from fostering. This came out of TheGuardian.com by Peter Beaumont. It's a heartbreaking story about thousands of Ukrainian children being kidnapped for money in Russia. Well, they're being kidnapped in Ukraine and taken to Russia. Seems the war orphans are a lot, worth a lot of money in Russia. None to mention those just outright kidnapped. The worst part is the parents are having to get their children back from the Russians who now have them as adopted with Russian papers now. They are most likely gone for good. Now, that's a, what a better way to demoralize the enemy by taking away their children by the thousands. So think about this. Ukrainian war refugees had their children taken away from them. You know, maybe they got separated during the bombings. Children are running around by themselves, got picked up by Ukrainians who are, you know, favorable to the Russians. And they're, they're running across the border with them and basically trafficking these kids into the Russian foster, foster system. And once these kids get Russian papers, they're not allowed to go back to Ukraine. They're considered Russian citizens. And at that point, property of the Russian adopt, adopters, and they're, they're going to be done. And that's really sad. So all these Ukrainian parents now have lost their children. They lost their homes, lost their livelihoods, and now they're losing their children. I mean, that's seriously, seriously sad. And, and Russians don't think this is a war crime? Come on. Now we're going to come back to the United States. Um, this one here is racism, an article about racism. Native American high school graduate sues school district after she says she wasn't allowed to wear a sacred eagle feather at a graduation by Nicole Chavez in CNN. So it's another story about how red state schools want to go back to the old colonial days when the descendants of the Europeans kidnapped indigenous children and tried to convert them all into their idea of perfect copies of the Europeans, uh, you know, whether French, English, what have you. A young girl in Oklahoma, where there's a lot of Native Americans living, denied a cultural heritage decoration because it didn't comply with their vision of what an American high school, high school student should look like and behave. There's a lot more stories of high school students in red states who can't even manage the necessary credits needed to graduate due to performance and attendance issues. Which leads to my next story, another story about child, la child labor in another red state. And this one here came out of the Iowa Capitol Dispatch. Governor Reynolds signs law loosening Iowa's child labor restrictions by Robin Opsaw. Another, another state loose, loosening child labor laws in a desperate move to get more bodies in the workforce. The bigger question is, how much is this going to impact high school graduation percentages? How much you want to bet they go down in these states? And now we're going to go to Florida. Again, Florida has been all in the news forever, all over the world, about the governor doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, this one is actually about a school board. Hundreds gather at Florida school board meeting over Disney movie controversy. Your policies are not protecting us from anything, unquote, by Tao Nguyen in USA Today. The loss of 33 educators recently, on top of all the other ones who have left in the wake of Don't Say Gay, is causing a lot of concern for those with kids and not enough, with what, not enough teachers anymore. The local school boards are all about getting national attention, trying to ride the governor's coattails. And it's only going to continue in, to get worse into Santa's land. Basically what this is talking about here is that teachers and college professors are leaving Florida in droves over all of the restrictive policies down there. And they're just basically, they're bailing. They're either quitting the profession altogether or they're getting jobs in, in blue states, uh, you know, more, more liberal states if you want, uh, to, you know, so they can keep teaching. But they're, they're leaving places like Texas, Florida, Oklahoma, and all these other red states simply because they can't stand all the restrictions. What's going to happen to all these schools? Well, going to be a lot of students looking for teachers and there's going to be a lot of schools that are going to get empty. So now, here we're going to go over to Texas. You know, that was education. Now we're going to get into law enforcement, border patrol. I don't know what you want to call this stuff. So I got a couple, a couple of articles out of Texas. GOP-led states step up troops with law enforcement to help tax, Texas tackle border woes. Nebraska, Florida, Tennessee and Mississippi are all sending resources. And I read an article yesterday, State of Virginia is now sending troops down there. This is by Adam Shaw on Fox News. 
I hate Fox News, but every once in a while, they come up with something. And basically, all it means is that these states that I mentioned are sending either National Guard troops or law enforcement personnel down to the border to help them secure the border, which, you know, they, they're saying it's being overrun and, and invaded. So this goes into my next article. Texas uses invasion clause against immigrants and is, is racist and dangerous, rights groups say. This came out of The Guardian by Aram Salam. Texas governor invoking invasion clause in national and state constitutions to authorize state recruitment of border force and state takeover of border patrol in order to completely block off the Texas border. By invoking invasion clause, he's declaring war on immigrants and on his borders. And basically what he wants to do, he wants to have enough troops, whether it be law enforcement, border patrol, National Guard, you name it, to where there will be nobody I mean, nobody crossing the border on his state anywhere between Brownsville and Arizona. I mean, not going to happen. Okay. He's saying all the way to the Gulf Coast, Gulf Coast, all the way to the Arizona border. He's saying nobody's getting across. Good luck with that. I mean, really, people are pretty creative about coming across the fence. So I got to wonder how that's all going to work out and how long they can sustain that. Murders, murderers and criminals, meteorologists face unprecedented harassment from conspiracy theorists by Laura Patterson and CNN. Meteorologists around the world are facing what agencies say is unprecedented harassment and online abuse from people who accuse the experts of overstating, lying about, or even controlling the weather. Come out of CNN.com. Another example of ignorant humans who got nothing better to do than harass weather climatologists and reporters because they're afraid of or don't want to believe what they're hearing on the local news. Stupid humans. And here's another one, kind of stupid humans here. But some of these are just, they're, they're helpless. Trump bucks promise wealth for MAGA loyalty. Some people lose thousands. The products as ad, are advertised online is a kind of a golden ticket that will help propel Trump's 2024 bid and make the real patriots who support him rich when they're cashed in. So basically, they're being offered a, a token name of being a real patriot if you send money to these thing and buy one of these golden tickets. Trouble is, the, the Trump political organization doesn't know anything about this, and it's not part of their deal. So all it is is scammers. But they're taking advantage of a lot of people who aren't real bright at the top of the stairs and stealing their money. And that's uh, it's pretty sick. Now, I, you know, I got this out of NBC, NBC News here. Um, you know, and this, we likened this to the old Protestant tent revival people. that used to call people out of their donation money years ago. And, it's you know, it's the same con game, different name. So this one here is about abortion. As Alabama Health, Alabama Health Clinic is under threat, it doesn't even provide abortions. Former abortion clinics in red states are trying to pivot to other services after DOPS, but they're finding it's not so easy. And I got this one out of Politico.com by Alice Miranda Olstein. I picked it up because it applies to nearly all the states where abortion is now illegal. Women's health services are under attack in all of these states, and they're losing so much money that they're closing down leaving women with no medical service left to deal with specific women's health issues, such as contraception, menopause-related issues, birthing issues, and so on. If this trend continues, there's going to be a lot more dead women and mass exoduses in the near future. Well, there's that. that's already happening. You know, women dying over this, it's happening, but, it's, you know, not quite as much to make the big news. But mass exoduses of people leaving these anti-abortion states, oh, you betcha. It's it's going it's a big thing right now. Problem is where are they going to go to? Well, hopefully they'll go find welcoming states. And this goes into my next one because this is a welcoming state. Nevada's Republican governor enshrines abortion protections. Governor Joe Lombardo has said on the campaign trail he would respect the will of the voters who codified abortion rights in a 1990 referendum. I got this out of the Guardian. In an opposite story here from. This an opposite, kind of an opposite story from Nevada. Good news for women. The governor maintains the original order to keep abortions available for those who need it, even those from out of state. So there you go. 
All you folks that are in states that are restricting abortion rights, go to Nevada, at least out in that area anyway. And my last story of the day is political, and it's another Chinese story. Suspected Chinese spies disguised as tourists tried to infiltrate Alaska military bases by Tom Vandenbroek in USA Today. It's a story about how aggressive the PRC is getting with regard to spying on the American military bases in Alaska. And we got a bunch of them up there. And who knows where else outside the United States. So here's the thing. We got a bunch of military bases up in Alaska. We've got some in Hawaii. And there's a lot of big Asian population there. We've got bases in Guam, Midway, and all kinds of places. This is common knowledge. But with these bases being in somewhat foreign countries, are they also having this problem with Chinese spies trying to incur, you know, incur on these bases and, and take pictures and do all kinds of things? That's not a good thing. So the big, the big story is they've been caught multiple times up in Alaska, but they just seem to keep coming. And my personal note, is I, you know, because I, I was in the military during the Cold War days, I don't remember the Russians being quite this aggressive back then. I mean, they were. Don't trust me, Russians had spies all over the place. But I don't remember them being quite this aggressive. At least not from what I remember. So that's what I got for you today. We're going to go to break. Um, and then at this point, uh, when we come back, I'm going to give you my op-ed. And it's, I'll give you a hint. It's about Uganda and the LGBTQ, okay? So let's take a break, and I'll see you in a few minutes. I want to take this break time to bring attention to my website, Crombieha, at https colon forward slash forward slash 527.websitex5.me. I have a blog page where I offer insights and teasers about the articles and stories I write and where I posted them. Here on the website, you can also learn a little more about what Crombieha means for a little bit of Irish culture and more about me in general. I also have links to my Medium and Substack pages, an ad page for my books, and a contact page in case someone cares to leave a message. If you care to read my Medium.com articles, I have an option at the end of all the articles and stories to leave a donation to my coffee fund and to sign up for a subscription if you want. No one's obligated to financially support my work because I post everything for free. Medium does ask you to sign up to read the full piece though, even if it is for free, so just a heads up. If you want to read something and don't want to sign up for anything, give me a shout through the contact page on my website and I'll reach back out to you to see if we can work something out. Welcome back to the second half of the Crombie Hob Podcast. This is where I talk about my op-ed. So I've got an article that I will post on the newsletter from my friend in Canada, Sam W. She publishes her own website called worldweary.com. And she, her article was about what happened in Uganda this week. Uh, the president signed one of the most restrictive and punishable LGBTQ laws in his country. But the big thing about this, as we all know, this is going all over the world. Now, obviously, his is an extreme, but they're still having problems everywhere. So it's all about the prejudice. And she's, you know, my friend is very, is a very local activist on her website and her blog post to medium.com. And, you know, he signed into law severely restricting everything to do with LGBTQ plus, and in some cases on penalty of death. And, and she is, and others have talked about, if you're gay in Uganda, you should probably run away as quickly and as far as you can before something bad happens. And they are, they are running. Problem is, where are they going to go to? These other countries, although not quite as bad, they're not so welcoming, irregardless of your preference or your status. So I'm not going to quote her here with these, you know, as far as these feelings, but still. So the rest of the world, they aren't quite as bad, but they're close especially in the United States. In the red-colored GOP-controlled states, LGBTQ plus rights are just, you know, just to be recognized as normal people is coming under severe attack, along with any and all media material available for public consumption, public books, movies, home videos, anything and everything is being restricted or banned in a lot of these states. 
Most of this is coming from the evangelical Christian groups who think that their holy book tells them that being gay is an abomination in the eyes of their God. I mean, even Islam treats LGBTQ plus people better than that in their culture. For the American Christians, their fear is that their children will learn about gay and transgender people and get ideas about their own identity. The Christians can't allow that to happen as relationships are strictly supposed to be between a man and a woman, according to their holy book. Well, I'm sorry to say, I don't think so. But, yeah, that's, their, that's what they believe. These folks like living in a narrow view of life as it keeps the outside world at bay, and they don't have to live in fear, as much fear of the boogeyman from the government or any other outside influences disrupting their narrow lives. The less the sins of the world intrude on their lives, the less stress they believe they will have. This, those other stressful intrusions can be mitigated through church services and lots of prayers. That's what they believe. I think it has a lot to do with looks. Think about it. Why do we vilify African Americans, Latinos, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, and others? Because they look different, behave different, speak different than the what used to be primary demographic population in the U.S. and Europe. They dress differently. They don't behave in public in a manner that is considered normal to the majority stockholders of Western society. Some of these people have different accents, don't speak American English like they're supposed to, at least according to them, you know, the primary stockholders. So I've written three articles in Median.com. You know, in, my first one was called Human Nature versus Critical Race Theory. And I reposted them with revisions recently. So they're, you know, they're not as strong as they were. Uh, I had a friend who reached out to me and said, yeah, you might want to tone them back a little bit. But again, they're a part of a three-part series. And be honest with you, I didn't pull any punches. I, I, I tell it like it is humans versus their idea of critical race. But big thing about this, it, it comes to, you know, being extremely prejudiced against others, you know, to a certain degree. So here's the thing. Homo sapiens, as I mentioned in my articles, has been, is extremely prejudiced against others. It's been that way since the Neanderthals. Uh, you know, the big thing is, since we're supposed to be much smarter and better than the other creatures of the world, which I think is debatable in some cases, why can't we overcome this obvious character deficit? After all these, after all these tens of thousands of years, you'd think we have matured past that by now. Apparently not. Certainly beginning to look like Homo sapiens is regressing in character these days, rather than making forward progress. As a species, we're moving back in time to the mid-20th century. Right now, with our social norms, isolationism, and nationalistic trends, most everyone in the world is even, even vaguely familiar with World War II, and how that pretty much wrecked the world for a couple of generations. Now, here in the 21st century, just 20 years in. We're heading right back to the same reasons that started that one. Fear of others of our own species. Irrational fear of humans with different skin colors, different cultural beliefs, different languages, different clothing, just plain different from the primary residents of the countries that humans invented to keep others out. And I'm talking about nationalistic borders. As humans, no matter what we look like, sound like, or behave like, we all bleed the same color blood when we when the outer skin and, and the corpuscles are broken. We all piss and crap out of the same orifices. We all eat and drink with the same orifices. We breathe the same way. So what if a different tribe wears nose jewelry? We all have two ears to hear sounds with, or at least most of us do. As humans, we all have hands with opposable thumbs, digits we call fingers and toes. We walk upright on two legs for the most part. So why can't we all figure out how to get along with each other? Why is that so hard? Why is one tribe so afraid of the other? I gave everyone the answer in my other two articles in that three-part series on critical race theory. Although our technical advances have given us advantages over the other creatures of the world, we're still just the same fearful species that we have always been since we inhabited the tall grass savannas of Central and South, Southern Africa, where it seems we originated from. Our fear of predators gave us the advanced ability to learn tool usage, and those same primal instincts drive us in today's world. This fight or flight or fight instinct is hardwired into our DNA, 
and we have yet to be able to change that basic core program yet. So here we are, fighting against whomever we see as a threat to our lifestyle. This lifestyle is what gives us the ability to feel safe, have a stable food supply, and give ourselves a place to keep the weather off our heads. As a species, whenever we feel like any one of these three basic needs is threatened, we run or fight. When we think when we think the other tribe is stronger than others, we fight. So it is one of those things. Strength in numbers, we try to fight them and take over whatever they have. It's been that way since the dawn of time. So this is what's going on in the LGBTQ plus community. This particular tribe of humans with their Christian beliefs feels threatened and needs to be able to point a finger at a cause, wrong or right. They can't manage to think to, to blame something they think is intangible, like the weather. They have to have something they can strong arm in order to feel safe again, even if it's just temporary. They pray to their God every chance they get for some relief from their fears. I don't know about you, but I have yet to see physical proof of any divine inter intervention to stop wildfires, floods, extreme cold weather events, huge snowstorms, severe droughts, happen all happening around the world these days. Anyone or many of these is causing food shortages around the world with more coming in the next few years. And I don't think prayer is going to help a bit. A lot of that is already here, but a lot of humans ignore what they, what they hear because it's not affecting them yet substantially enough to want to do much about it today or tomorrow even. As long as they can take their kids to school, travel to the grocery stores in their affluent neighborhoods, and there's food on the shelves when they get there, all is right with the world, their world. When anything threatens that, they, get, they gather up their neighborhood groups, social media groups, church groups, and whatever to demand whatever authorities they can grab onto to do something to assuage their fears, and they want it right now. Their fear of LGBTQ people plus is, is people is based on the ability to take out their fears and anxieties on a small group of less protected humans. The fearful tribes have been able to see that they are less of a physical threat and therefore can be used to focus their anxieties onto a group that they can physically intimidate without fear of retaliation. Something they can't do as much of with the African Americans, Latinos, and Asians because they're fighting back and there are now more of them than in years past. Being the most dominant tribal group in a nation means that they get first dibs on food and daily materials to make their lives safer and more stable. By controlling the majority of the needed resources, they can be assured of a longer tribal existence for their future. And the other thing that's driving aggression towards the LGBTQ groups is the new trend of the younger generations to get involved in mixed tribal relations. And their parents and their grandparents are afraid of that. It takes away from their sense of security. If the young people embrace cohabitation and fluid gender options, that sense of tribalism is threatened. What if the future generations decide that skin color didn't matter in relationships anymore? What if the younger, younger generations decided that whatever sexual organ, organs you were born with doesn't define you as a person? What happens then? With the current older adult populations, especially in the U.S., believing in strict tribal boundaries, the fights will continue for a few more decades which is sad considering that there are so many other more pressing things to take care of that outweigh any tribal safety concerns. With climate change and global warming happening on a worldwide scale right now and only just beginning, if we can't figure out a way to work together as a species, we're all doomed anyway. Petty tribal rivalries should be the least of our worries right now. So this is all I have for you this week. I hope I've enlightened you a little bit with my choice of stories and thoughts. I'm going, to close out, I'm going to close out this show with a challenge. This month is Pride Month, according to all the media stuff. So the big thing about it is my challenge is, well, don't be afraid of these people because they're not going to hurt you. I mean, you know, some of them are a little expressive in how they dress and how they act, how they behave. But so what? Why do you feel threatened by that? So I, I ask all of you people... You know, anybody who does listen to this, examine why you feel threatened by this community. They're not doing anything to hurt you. And the books that are in the libraries, you know what? Let the educators take care of business. And if they're, if they're age appropriate, leave them alone. Book banning is always wrong. And there's, the kids are going to get a hold of them anyway. They're just going to do it in, you know, more private spaces. 
So how would you rather have your children read these books? Because you know they're going to. I would, I would just assume they read them under the auspices of teachers and, and parents. Um, that way, if they have any questions, they can ask them. Because if they read them under the, you know, if they read them under the covers or in a back corner somewhere and they do have questions, they're, they're going to start asking the wrong people questions. And that's a bad thing. So think about that. Why, why are we book banning and why are we hating these people? Well, you know what? We need to get over it. Don't be afraid of them. So I'm going to close. Um, I hope you have a good week and I'll, I'll talk to you again next week. Remember, next Wednesday. I would like to thank you for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed it and that you'll return again for another episode of the Crown Bay Hall podcast. Feel free to share this with your friends and relations. The more the merrier. Each podcast will be free and can be found on many different platforms now. Search for the Crown Beha podcast or under my name, T-O-D-O-M-H-N-A-I-L-L in your favorite app. My goal is for this to feel like a village meeting place atmosphere under the spreading oak tree during our time together with an Irish flair. As a Sean Kay, I want to travel to your digital village to bring you the back page news from the outside world and maybe a story too that might bring you a smile and make you think a little bit after we part for the day. As I close out this episode, I wish to leave you with this Irish blessing as you go about your day until we meet again. May your troubles be less and your blessings be more. Nothing but happiness come through your door. Slán go which means goodbye for now in Irish. <laughs>